0: Hello, this is your Fertility Pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. My intent for creating this podcast was to talk about new fertility research that will give women some much-needed information to make more informed reproductive decisions. So, today we will segue from the economy-stopping infection that's chewing through all of our news feeds and move on to infections in general and how they can impact children born from fertility treatments. Since I hope to become a mom someday, I find it especially interesting to learn what kind of additional risks that I would be placing on a child I bring into the world. Hopefully you find this information interesting too. A few months ago, a study was published in Fertility and Sterility that looked at whether or not there is an association between how a baby was conceived and the impact that this mode of conception has on getting serious infections. It was conducted at the largest birth center in Israel, which is a country where the national law mandates that all citizens who need fertility treatments have access to them. Lucky Israel. This particular study was retrospective, which means that it is looking backwards at events that have already happened. It looked back in time at the medical records of infants born at this Israeli birth center between 1991 and 2014. The study excluded infants who were born with deformities or who were born as multiples like twins or triplets because those are generally considered higher risk. All in all, the study followed a whopping 242,187 infants for an average of 10 years. Because the birth center has a special fertility unit, they were able to note that 2,603 infants had been conceived from in vitro fertilization, aka IVF, and that 1,721 infants had been conceived with the help of medications that boost ovulation, which we will call ovulation-inducers from here on out. So, the study included roughly 4,300 infants born with reproductive assistance and 238,000 infants born from natural conception. Regardless of how they were conceived, all of these infants were followed until one of three events happened. One, they got an infection that brought them to the hospital. Two, they died from something unrelated to an infection. Or three, they turned 18, at which point they were no longer considered children. The average time that these infants and children were followed was 10 years. During this time, roughly 10% were hospitalized with one or more infections. After accounting for and adjusting for the differences between groups, like the IVF group had older mothers in general, the study found that children conceived from IVF had the highest rates of infections needing hospitalization, with the next highest rates being children who were conceived using ovulation inducers. The actual numbers behind the results are a bit tricky to understand at first. Here's how the results were described in the study. The hospitalization rates per 1,000 person years of follow-up were 16.34 in the IVF group, 11.61 in the ovulation-inducers group, and 10.19 in the naturally-conceived group. What this means is, if we watched 1,000 children from each group for one year, we would expect, on average, for 16.3 children from the IVF group to be hospitalized for infection. We would expect, on average, for 11.6 children from the ovulation inducers group to be hospitalized for infection. And we would expect 10.2 children from the naturally conceived group to be hospitalized for infection. Comparing the IVF group to the naturally conceived, that's just six more children in 1,000 who would have been hospitalized for infection. If we break down the fractions even further, that's not even one child in a hundred, additionally, who would be hospitalized from the IVF group. The study provided a table that disclosed the frequency of infections by diagnosis, and the only area with a statistically significant difference for increased infections in the IVF and ovulation-inducers groups was in the upper respiratory infections. What this means is that they did not detect differences based on mode of conception for any of the other types of infections they were looking at, which included ear infections, pneumonia, and stomach infections, etc. So while the statistical method used in the study indicated that yes, there is a difference between children born from IVF compared to children naturally conceived, that doesn't automatically mean that the difference is large enough or important enough to impact medical practices. Personally, as a woman who hopes to become a mom with IVF, the small differences shown in this large study would in no way deter me from using IVF to conceive. If anything, this study has just led me to have more questions. One outcome I wish the study had provided were the number of deaths. The study stopped following children if this happened, but did it happen? How often and to which children? Also, Were there differences in recovery time in the infections between groups? This information is likely available in their medical records, so follow-up on this could be useful. Another study I hope they would do is one that provides information about children born more recently from IVF or from ovulation-inducers, since those children would be more closely comparable to a child that you or I would hopefully conceive once this pandemic is over. When looking at heart studies, which I will likely cover in a later episode, they found that IVF children born in the 1990s had higher blood pressure compared to the naturally conceived, but this difference in blood pressure was not detectable in children born with reproductive help from the 2000s on. Similar to this blood pressure study where the difference went away in the same timeline as the serious evolution of fertility techniques. I'm curious if the small difference found in the Israeli infection study winds up being even smaller for babies conceived in our own times with the current reproductive technology. Overall, this was a valuable study. It looked at a lot of data which increases the ability to make useful conclusions. With this large amount of data, there was just one category that found a small difference in serious infections So this information is encouraging for women who want to use IVF or ovulation inducers to help them become moms. If you're curious to learn more details about this study, check out the webpage for this episode on this podcast website, www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in.